You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Today uh, about being a people with prophetic purpose. Being a people with prophetic purpose. Just recently, Judy and I, uh, we went away for a few days break in Latvia. And um, on the final morning, we thought we'd find somewhere, you know, a nice little place for a nice breakfast. And uh, I, I have to confess, I had overindulged something on the local cuisine the night before. So I thought, I want something sort of, you know, not too filling, something nice and easy. We've got a flight a bit later in the day. And uh, so we went into this really nice little place that we'd found the day before. Uh, It was a place with a weird name, like uh, it was called something like the place that doesn't have a name or something, which was very confusing when you put it into Google, when you say, hey, Google, find me the place that hasn't got a name. And Google says, "I I don't understand that question. So anyway, we were in this. We went into this nice little place, and uh, I, I thought, yeah, I'll order uh, order breakfast. So I ordered breakfast, and this is the breakfast that I had. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as you can imagine, I enjoyed my breakfast, even though I had it overindulged the night before. Nonetheless, uh, this was a really nice breakfast, and. Um, Uh, Your understanding of my breakfast is enhanced by the fact that you can see a picture of it. That actually you seeing that picture helps you to understand the nice breakfast I had. It tasted good and it looked good. And in fact, one of the things that enhanced the experience so much more, even than the wonderful taste and the amazing look of this food, was the fact that it was a very small little place and we saw the food being prepared right in front of us. So you'll see a picture. Here is the guy actually making my breakfast. And actually to see somebody doing it enhanced the experience for us. Because it's true that when we see things, it helps us to understand them far more than when we just hear them. The fact that um, Ben and Gail were able to have some pictures of Cambodia up on the screen helps us to understand what it's like in Cambodia far more than if we just hear them giving an explanation. I'm sure they'd give a really good explanation, but being able to see something has a lot more impact. And seeing something that is actually happening also has a lot of impact. I was talking to Dan yesterday and he was talking about the baptisms that they had in Bishop Auckland last week and the fact there was a hundred people there. And one of the things he mentioned to me was all the kids that were there that were watching the baptism and they were really drawn into this whole thing because it was something living that was happening in front of them. It wasn't they were just hearing some words. And so baptism, it's like this prophetic declaration of what God has done in someone's life being acted out. And so the fact that they have died and come to new life is being acted out, in in a sense, in front of us when we see a baptism. Often in the Bible, God uses picture language so that we can see with our imagination. 
And Jesus did this as well. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, when he was talking to the crowds, he often used things that people could actually see to help them to imagine and understand the things that he was talking about. In the Old Testament, sometimes when God wanted to speak, he didn't just speak his words. What he did was he got the prophet to actually act out to embody his message, that it wasn't just words that came. So often in many of the Old Testament prophecies, God uses picture language to help people to imagine what it is that he's saying, but sometimes he got the prophet to actually act it out. And one of those instances was in the book of Hosea. So Hosea is this young prophet, he's a young guy, he's just started prophesying and God says something quite shocking to him. God says to him in Hosea chapter 1, go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So what God was doing here was he was using the prophet's life to be a visual demonstration of the situation that was going on where God was like a faithful husband married to an unfaithful wife, his people. God is saying, my relationship with my people is like I am a faithful husband and Israel is like an unfaithful wife. And my focus today is, is this, how can we as Christians, as a prophetic people, like, like Hosea, embody and demonstrate God's love and faithfulness to our world today? You see, God shockingly has told Hosea to marry this woman who was not living, shall we say, a righteous lifestyle. In fact, her lifestyle was actually similar to the woman who was caught in adultery and brought to Jesus. This is two women, both of whom were living unfaithful lifestyles. And the, they brought this woman to Jesus, expecting that under the law she would be stoned. And Jesus shows her mercy. And it's, that, it's a woman of a similar character in similar situation who Hosea, shockingly, is told to marry. And I think, how did Hosea deal with that? I mean, goodness me, here is a presumably young guy at the start of his ministry, and he's probably full of enthusiasm and zeal, really wondering, you know, what's God going to say to the people? Oh, God is saying, you've got you to marry, you know, somebody who you know, has had relationships with a number of other people already. I wonder what his mum thought. <laughs> I wonder what his friends thought, you know. I, 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 wonder, I wonder what the wedding ceremony was like. You know, what did the wedding guests think? Crazy. So God gets Hosea to do this crazy thing, but it's not a crazy thing just for the sake of craziness. It's not weird just for the sake of weirdness. It's because God has a purpose. His purpose is to convey his heart to people. And so, he's, so being a prophetic people isn't just doing weird things. Being a prophetic people is expressing God's heart for people. But sometimes obeying God is not the popular 
or easy option. Hosea, he could have been under a lot of peer pressure to not do what God wanted him to do, but he did what God wanted him to do. Sometimes obeying God is not the easy option. You know, when, uh, in 1993, Judy and I, we uh, were moving to a housing estate in southeast London to be part of a church planting team, and it was a rough area to move to, and uh, people who were well-meaning Christians said to us, well, how could you do that to your kids? How could you take them from this prosperous middle-class area with good education to this rather down, downtrodden working-class area with schools that are all at the bottom of the league tables. How could you do that? Well, you can do it when you know that God has put something in your heart. And so it's not just doing things to be weird or different, but sometimes we've got to follow God and do even the things that some people might think is not going to be the sensible thing because you know what God has put on your heart. And so I believe as Hosea was able to do this because he knew this was God who had spoken to him. It didn't seem a reasonable thing, but it was definitely a God thing. You see, uh, we then might, might think that you know, what we would really like to happen is in this story, and, and so often when I read my Bible, I, I, I end up with the what I would like to happen and actually what God wants to happen. What I would like to happen is I would love to, that Hosea marries this woman and in some Disney-esque future, they live together happily ever after they have kids. They have a perfect life, but it doesn't work out quite like that, because real life so often is not like Disney. Sometimes we step out in obedience to God, but it doesn't maybe pan out the way we would like it to do. That sometimes God is still in control. He's still got a purpose, but sometimes it doesn't quite work the way we would like it to. And so we read in chapter 3, this happens. Hosea says, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. So this crazy situation where Hosea actually has to buy his own wife back because she has left him. She has gone and got another bloke. She's got into a relationship with someone else. We find that she has not been transformed the way that we would have liked her to be transformed. It's not happily ever after at this stage. She's actually got into a worse situation. Her bad choices have led her into a situation where Hosea, as I say, actually has to buy her back. And all this is a prophetic picture. God has made a covenant with his people. He's made a promise to his people. It's a bit like a marriage covenant. And however much Israel, like an unfaithful wife, kept going off and serving other gods, God still wanted to keep winning her back. God was not going to reject her. He wanted to give this unfaithful wife every opportunity to keep on coming back. So we're going to look at how God wants us, like Hosea, to embody God's love to our world. This is what being a prophetic people is, a people whose lives speak to our world. But before we can embody God's love to the world, we need to live in that love of God for ourselves. We've got to be living 
in the, God, in the good of it. So just like Hosea had redeemed Gomer by giving 15 shekels of silver and the barley and whatever else it was, God has redeemed us by giving the life of his son for us. But just like with Gomer, things in our lives go wrong. Sometimes we become unfaithful. It may not be that we become sexually unfaithful, but we do things that are not being as faithful to God as maybe we could. Sometimes, like Israel, it's like we keep blowing it time and time again. Sometimes our lives can be a little bit like that. We, we get close to God and then some things go wrong and we start getting distant from God and we start putting our trust in other things and we put our time into other things and our relationship with God becomes weak and, uh, uh, and distant. But God wants us to have an ongoing relationship of faithfulness to him. You know, sometimes we blow it so badly that we just get into that state of thinking, I've just gone too far. I've just too far away from God now. I've just done too many bad things. And there's never too many bad things for God. We can always keep coming back to him. Um, you know, tomorrow for me uh, marks a great occasion. Tomorrow is my last ever day as a driving instructor. <laughs> so I've got my last ever pupil. And uh, let's go on a little sidetrack. So, and that is a real story, a testimony of God's amazing faithfulness to us as a family in terms of finance. That, uh, uh, that a year ago, we felt God saying that I should be stopping driving instruction and we should be looking to God to provide our finances in another way. And uh, God has just uh, really opened up something where I have been able to build a business that is actually becoming more profitable than my driving instruction business was, but at the same time has enabled me to have a lot more free time for serving church. So that's a great testimony. It's nothing to do with what I wanted to talk about. I just got taken on a slight sidetrack, but it's good to know that God is actually at work doing things in people's lives. So I want to share that from my own personal story. But anyway, tomorrow is my last day as a driving instructor. Well, I hope it is. I've got a pupil, got a test. I'm hoping this pupil is going to pass. Otherwise, I have lied to you, and it won't be my last day as a driving instructor. Anyway, let's have believing in faith. Okay, we're standing together in faith for this. So, <laughs> uh, but sometimes in my history as a driving instructor, I have had pupils who have not proved particularly faithful. You know, I'm not saying they've gone off with other driving instructors, <laughs> but what I'm saying is this, that, that sometimes, you know, they are the kind of person who phones up the night before wanting to cancel their lesson. And it's okay when they do it once, but then when they do it a second time the week after, it start, you're starting to get a little bit wary because you're having to fit them in, you're trying to juggle somebody else around into your diary. And then the next week they say, oh, I can't make it at that time, could we change the time? And, and then the next week they don't turn up. And, and, and you you get to the stage as a driving instructor, and this is true for most driving instructors, I think, but uh, forgive me for any driving instructors in here today who are not like this at all, but you get to the stage of saying, this has just gone too far. I'm not going to put up with this any longer. I'm going to let this pupil go. Uh, sometimes you get to that stage, and, you know, but God is not like that with us. That however many times we let him down, that we prove ourselves unfaithful, we feel that we can't be bothered, he still accepts us back 
every single time. There's never a time when there's no way back. There's never a time when the shame is too great. Now, I'm not wanting to be preaching a message of casual grace. I'm not saying that we should just, oh, do what you like, God will always have you back. He will always have you back, but actually what he wants is not a relationship of him just accepting us back every time. He's wanting a, a relationship of faithfulness, where he is faithful to us and we are faithful to him. That's a true marriage kind of relationship. So that's the kind of relationship that he wants. So I'm not talking about casual grace. And what I want to say as well is this, we don't have to be like Goma. We don't have to be like that. You know, there seem, almost seemed with Israel there was this inevitability that they were going to go away from God and then they come back and then they go away and then they come back and that this cycle would be repeated forever and ever and ever. It almost seemed inevitable. It's not inevitable for us. We don't have to be like Goma. We don't have to be people who are drifting away from God and then we come back and we have an amazing encounter with God and then we drift away again. Don't be like Goma. And sometimes the reason that we might be like Goma, it, there might be some underlying issues in our life that are causing that to happen. And so sometimes we've got to look at what are those underlying issues what are the things that are causing us to be like that, to be in this cycle of things going wrong? Sometimes it's not the obvious thing. I read a book uh, a while ago by a guy called Danny Silk. It's called Culture of Honor. And in this book, he tells the story of how he was the principal of a Bible school. And in this Bible school, a, uh, a couple came to him. They were an unmarried couple who were in the Bible school, and they came to him uh, shockingly to reveal the fact that she was pregnant. And so they, uh, this couple came to him with the expectation that he would be angry, that they would be thrown off the course, and they would be left with shame. But what Danny Silk did was rather than dealing with the, what was actually the superficial, although very important issue of the pregnancy, he asked this question, What's the problem? You see, the problem, as they discovered, the problem was not the relationship. The problem was some of the underlying things that had drawn them into that relationship and expressing it in a, in a wrong way at a wrong time. It was what was going on in their lives that caused that problem in their lives. And sometimes we need to look at, well, what is the underlying things that are causing us to live and to, to keep on having this cycle of problems going on. We could expand that whole idea a whole lot more, but I just want to sort of raise it as a question that sometimes we do need to look at. If I've got this whole thing of a cycle of problems going on and on, am I trying to deal with the, the problem or is there underlying things that actually I need to deal with in my life? Because as we'll see, that Israel, they had... They didn't have the advantage that we've got. You see, Israel did not have Christ in them. Israel did not have the Holy Spirit in them. So we are in a great beneficial situation compared to the situation of Israel. And so although there was this kind of, it seemed, inevitability of cycle of failure, that doesn't have to be so for us. 
Galatians 2.20 says, we have Christ in us. So Christ in us makes this massive difference. Christ in us means that we don't have to live that way. The secret to not being like Goma, to being a prophetic people, Galatians 2.20, is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So it's not that we put on an act. It's not that we're just hypocrites acting on the outside, but it's not what's on the inside, but rather we have Christ in us who enables us to do the stuff that God wants us to do. So we've looked at how we need to have God's life in us to live it out before we can demonstrate it to the world we're in. So just as Hosea was this prophetic embodiment of God's message to Israel, we are a prophetic embodiment of God's message to our world. Jesus himself was the ultimate embodiment of God's love. He said, nobody's seen the Father, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was the ultimate embodiment of God's love, and we are his body. So we are the embodiment of God's love in that same way. We are to embody the the love of God. His church is designed to be a prophetic people that doesn't just proclaim words about the love of God, but actually embodies it. That doesn't just act it out superficially, but has it at work in their lives. A church that doesn't just do good works and doesn't just avoid doing bad things, but embodies the very character of God to the people around us. And you know, historically, the church has not always been good at doing that. Historically, sometimes people's misconceptions about God are what, uh, 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 come from how they've seen the church be, how they see, what the church has said, and how they've seen the church act. But you know, there's a promise for something completely different, that when the church sees how the people of God love one another, that people will be amazed by it. And what's that happening? It's because we are embodying the love of God to one another that that speaks to the world around us. So it's not about just putting on an act of doing the right things. It's having his life in us. So in our food bank, we're doing more than just being a food distribution center. We're demonstrating the kingdom of God. We're a prophetic picture of what God himself is like. We're a prophetic picture of his generosity, of his care for people who are struggling. When we do Elevate, Elevate is not just a place for kids to hang out as some kind of social service. Elevate is showing people what God is like. It's demonstrating the very character of God with the aim that people's lives themselves get transformed to be themselves a prophetic picture of God to their community and to their generation. You see, sometimes people talk about a prophetic church, and actually what they're thinking about is what I would look at as maybe an inward-looking group of people who are having a nice time in the presence of God and prophesy over one another. But I think a prophetic church actually speaks out. It's not about speaking in, it's about speaking 
out. It speaks to the local community. It speaks to the region around. It speaks to the nation. And in our lives today, there are a lot of big issues going on. And there are big issues going on that sometimes I just want to bury my head in the sand because I think this is too complicated for me to be able to understand or argue about. There is so many nuances of opinion and it's so difficult and so many strident voices of opinion. But you know what we can do is not bury our head in the sand, but we can demonstrate the kingdom of God. We can demonstrate what God is like. So in issues of racism... It's not enough for us just not to be racist, but rather what we've got to do is we've got to demonstrate the opposite. Because the church in Revelation is described as being made up of every tribe and tongue and nation. And so God prophetically can speak to our divided world through a church that actually demonstrates that. So, you know, we can demonstrate the difference even if we haven't got all the words to argue the difference. In Galatians 3.28, likewise, it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave or free. There's not male or female. It's saying, you know, in our world, it's saying there's all these divisions, that people are very divisive in our world. But in the church, in the kingdom of God, in the purposes of God, there's not all that division. And we can demonstrate that there is the possibility of something that is different that the world does not have to be like it is, that actually there is an alternative, and we can demonstrate that alternative. One of the things that I have noticed, you see, I, I, I like, it's one of my bad points probably, I, I like to go on Twitter a lot. And I do tend to get a little bit involved in sort of Twitter arguments a bit too much. But here's the thing. It helps to educate me a little bit on what's going on in the world out there. So I'm all right. I'm, I've got an excuse. Anyway, so uh, one of the things I've noticed is that as well as the issues of race, there's also an issue of age. There's a lot of frustration between different age groups going on. And so... Um, you have uh, the boomers, and the boomers are saying, oh, when I was young, we didn't have this and we didn't have that, and, you know, we didn't eat avocado on toast and, uh, and, and all sorts of stuff like this, and uh, this younger generation, they don't know what it's like. Now, the thing is, the baby boomers, they were the people who, who loved songs like, uh, uh, a, a song, some of you may know this band, The Who, who sang a song about my generation. They were celebrating their young generation in the 70s. Now they're no longer the young generation, and they're complaining about the current young generation, which is a little bit ironic when you think about it. But then you've got the other side of the, the coin, where you've got, the, you know, you've got people writing from a millennial perspective and saying, oh, these baby boomers, they don't know what it's like living our lives. And do you know what this is all about? This is all about division. And do you know what we can do? We can demonstrate something different to that, that actually we have a multi-generational church where everybody is valued, everybody is loved, that there's no discrimination against the young, there's no, no discrimination against the old, that actually we have that unity that Jesus prayed for before he went to the cross. There's also issues of identity. People's identity is just such a key thing in this day. And again, there's such difficult arguments and there's nuanced arguments. But do you know what? 
We can be a people who demonstrate that ultimately our identity is found in Jesus, that our identity is found in our relationship with Jesus, that whatever else there is in our lives, that's our number one identity. And we have got that message. We can demonstrate that to the world around us. So sometimes we can't get involved in the arguments. Sometimes I know that sometimes maybe historically Christians have backed off the arguments too often, but sometimes getting involved in the arguments doesn't help. But if we are the prophetic people who are a picture of something different, then we can speak to the world around us. You know, as a church, we've got six core cultures. And those six core cultures, they aren't just uh, a tick box exercise. These are the things you need to agree to, to be part of our club. (laughs) That's not what they are. They are all in some way a demonstration of the heart of God and the vision God has given us so that we can demonstrate and embody his heart to the world around us. We don't have six core cultures just because it's some management approach. We have it because it de- it's expressing who we are and enabling us to express who we are to the world around us to be a prophetic voice. And so as, as you here in Richmond, as you embody those things, you are demonstrating the kingdom of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God to your people around you. So I want to encourage us, because some of us are not very persuasive people. Your lifestyle can speak far louder than your words, and our influence as a church can be far greater through what we do than what we say. I think for Hosea, living the life that he did, marrying this unfaithful woman, what he did was by doing that, he was able to express God's love in a way that merely saying the words wouldn't have done. So I want to encourage us, and if the band would like to just uh, come up now, I want to encourage us to be that prophetic people to see value in our lives of how we can make a difference. And I've, I've really got three things, really, that I want to sum up with, and then we're just going to worship together. The first is this. Don't be a goma. Don't be a goma. Don't be, don't be this going away from God, coming back from God, going away from God, coming back from God. Come to God and stay with God. Allow his work in your life so that through his faithfulness, you can be faithful as well. So don't be a goma. The second thing I want to say is don't hold on to the shame that so often can get in the way of coming back to God. And here's something, uh, it was in my notes earlier, I somehow seem to have missed this out, just remembered it, must have been God. Um, Probably most people in this room are not feeling at this very moment, I am away from God. Because the very fact you're here probably says that you don't feel you're away from God. But there will be times when maybe you do. 
And so this message is actually to help equip you for those moments when you do feel away from God. It's not for this moment, it's to equip you for those moments. But let's allow those moments to be the last time we're in those moments so that we stay faithful to God. So don't be a gomer, don't let shame get in the way of coming back to God. And then finally this, and maybe, you know, just, uh, I'm just going to maybe just give a, a few seconds, just quiet while we maybe just, each of us just have a chance to think about this before we worship. Let's see where in our lives we can express God's prophetic purpose. Where is there in your individual life? What are the circumstances you're facing right now where you can be expressing the love of God, the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God, where you can be embodying that in your world. Because it's great to have the excitement of how we can all do it as church. But where does it land in our individual lives? What are the things in your life where you can be making that difference, you can be being that influence, being God's prophetic voice into your workplace, your family, your friends, your situation. So I'm just going to give a few seconds just to to think about that. Okay, and why don't we just all stand now and we're going to worship and we're going to be expressing our love relationship with Jesus, our love relationship with our Father. We're going to be actually standing to worship and expressing that covenant marriage kind of relationship that we have with him right now. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.